You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. Since the introduction of Ferelden in the world of Thetis, Dragon Age has enchanted us with its deep story, character development, as well as the interaction not only with players and NPCs, but NPCs with each other. The world that was crafted by Bioware is vibrant, colorful, and most importantly feels like a living world. Spanning several games, novels, comics, web shorts, and fan-made projects, Dragon Age has drawn us deeper and deeper into the world of Thetis with each edition. With such a deep and rewarding RPG experience in the video game series, it isn't much of a surprise that the realm of tabletop RPG would become not only a sought-after space for the property, but one where the dark and gritty nature was a flagship release in 2010 that heralded in the Age of Dark Fantasy for dice rollers. The original box set was met with success, and its popularity meant that it was difficult to find. You couldn't get it anywhere near quick enough, and it was flying off the shelves. Now comes 2016, and Green Ronin Publishing, whose pedigree includes many publications for Dungeons & Dragons, Mutants and & Masterminds, and Song of Ice & Fire role-playing games, among others, has released an updated rule set and core book for players to digest. So when I say that this was a dark fantasy, I really mean that it was dark. And if anybody's played Dragon Age, you understand, it's not unicorns, rainbows, and high fantasy. This is you're trolling through slums and sewers, and magic has a cost, and combat's going to be brutal and vicious. And they captured it really well in their original release. Now, if you've ever played any tabletop role-playing games, you know that there's always going to be systems with dice and character sort of stats. Here, they try to simplify that as much as possible. And what's really cool about it is, unlike using a whole slew of dice, it uses three die six. It uses two hero dice and what it's called the dragon dice, or that third die that's basically like a wild card. You roll all three for everything. This is your dice check for literally everything you do, from attacks to dodges to heals to magic, and it's phenomenal. Something that they've added recently in the new publication, the one that's from just this year, is the sort of coup de gras feats or these extra things that happen when you get criticals. What they call criticals are when doubles are rolled across any of the three dice that you're rolling. Now, this is in, was done in order to capture sort of the effects of the game. Now, you know those cinematic moments where you do something really, really cool with that mage, you get that really cool shot, or that warrior goes up in the ogre and slams that sword down into it? That's what this was made to do. And it is absolutely phenomenal how they caught this. Now, have either of you guys played the, the tabletop version before at all? I haven't played it, uh, but I remember it was actually the first season of Will Wheaton's tabletop show they played it. So I, I do have some at least exposure to the game. I haven't even seen it. So I, I'm sure it must be available up here, but I haven't even seen it. So I would like to play it. However, it's one of those things after I'd seen this and was talking to you about it, I was going to talk to you more about it to see either on air or off air to see how friendly it is to new players as opposed to say a Dungeons and Dragons or something like that. So surprisingly, I think it's actually easier to pick up than Dungeons and Dragons or other game systems because of the simplification. So let me let me just talk a little bit about that. Uh, so you do have stats and your stats are communication, constitution, cunning, dexterity, magic, perception, strength and willpower. Sort of like what you would see inside the character sheet inside of the game uh, captured. And what they are is they range everything from a minus two to a plus four. That's it. When you roll your dice... Uh, for character creation, you roll your three dice, and that total dictates what your plus or minus is for that stat. Uh, this is before applying any racial or class or kit bonuses on top of that. When you roll your dice, you add or subtract that value against whatever your target is, whether you're trying to hit somebody's defense uh, when you're attacking, whether you're hitting trying to hit the DC of a spell. It's very, very straightforward, especially when it comes to, like, damage of weapons. When you're playing a game... And even like Shadowrun, you're rolling like 30 dice sometimes. 
in Dungeons and Dragons, you might be rolling a D12. You might be rolling a D10. You might be rolling a D8. Do you have to worry about, oh, what bonus do I add to it? What bonus do I add to this? What's my minus? Here, it's real simple. You're only going to be rolling D6s. And you're going to be rolling anywhere from 1D6 to 3D6, unless you get like a critical score that gives you an additional damage die or whatever the case is. That's it. And then you add whatever your stat bonus is. So if you're cleaving with a great axe, you add your strength bonus or subtract it if you're not quite strong enough. Uh, If you are shooting with a bow, you add your dexterity. If you're casting a spell, you add your magic power. That's that's it. It's really straightforward. It's a one-to-one correlation. The part that gets a little complicated is when you start adding prestige classes, which is also something they've added in this publication, uh, which was not around in the original releases. In the original releases, they kept things very, very simple. You chose a character background, whether it was like an apostate, an avar, uh, whether it was a circle mage, a city elf, Dalish elves, uh, whether you were playing a surface dwarf, every character class you can, or character combination you could possibly imagine from the games was represented here. And those concepts then translated into classes. So instead of having races and class combinations, you have concepts and race com- uh, class combinations. And your classes were the three major ones. You had mage, rogue, and warrior. As long as you stay with those, it's very easy to get somebody into the game. Now, when you start going to the prestige classes, that's when you start getting, like, the blood mages or the gray warden. The gray warden is a ridiculously powerful uh, prestige class, or whether you're an assassin, or whether you're a bard, those are all specialties that come later. So for new players, it's actually pretty easy to get into. It's, honestly, it's a lot of fun. And the fact of the matter is, one of the problems I have with a lot of fantasy games is magic is uber, uber powerful. You're a mage, you can do all sorts of ridiculous things from levitating weapons across the room to opening locks, and there's no consequence for it. Here, there's consequences. If you roll three ones, you might be pulled right into the fade, and you might not be able to get back out. Uh, you might actually accidentally summon a demon or terror rift in reality. These are all things that possibly can happen to you. Uh, the same thing happens with the Grey Warden. The Grey Warden can do some really cool power stunts, but could also possibly summon a whole horde of dark spawn to their location. Lots of interesting things. How friendly is it, not just in terms of, like you've explained, in difficulty, but for people who aren't familiar with the IP now? If you know nothing of the IP, it lays it out very, very beautifully. Uh, each concept comes with a brief description. It basically tells you what the idea is, and it gives you an idea of what your stat modifiers are for those class, those, those sort of concepts and classes without you having to know anything about the world. And that's one of the cool things about it. Because of the way that it's set up is you don't need to know a damn thing about Dragon Age. You could know absolutely nothing and just have an idea for a character, have an idea for a role-playing concept, and that's in here. If you never want to engage in, in combat, you don't want to deal with all that stuff, it just it gives you the, the ability to talk your way out of things. It gives you all of the freedom of any other RPG just set in a very dark and gritty universe. And that's one of the cool things about it. Those that you are familiar with the, the IP, you get all those little tiny little things that are awesome about it whether it's going to a specific city or town that you've seen in the game, which you can do. There, there's an actual, they use the same map of Thetis that we've used for all three games. It's there. Uh, you can go to those towns. There are NPCs and some of the quests that you've interacted with in the game. But if you haven't played the game, they're just NPCs. They're just cities. And the descriptions of them are beautiful and apt. So they're like, just future sacrifices. They're future sacrifices. <laughs> but it, it fits in really well. So I, I And we've I've run this actually for players that have no idea what Dragon Age is. None whatsoever. And they love it. They absolutely love it. See, for me, like, I absolutely love everything they've done from the character standpoint. I, like, I actually really appreciate it when they said that there's an entire, like, preface to the Grey Warden section just informing the player that may not be familiar of everything that's entailed with being a Grey Warden like yeah you're one of the most powerful classes in the game but holy shit here's all the other stuff that goes along with it like I all the prestige classes like I love all that side of RPGs of like mapping out your character and all that just for me personally like the age system it's it's just not engrossing enough for me like the actual like gameplay side of things it's 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 a personal thing, so like I, I recognize that it's great for 
a wide range of players. Just for me personally, it's not quite engrossing enough when you're actually rolling the dice. What do you mean the age system? It's it's the the rule set that yeah, that's uh, what they call Dragon it. Age is based on. I forget what it stands for. Adventure game something oh, experience okay. or something like that. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 a standardized rule set that they use across multiple games, and Dragon Age being one of them. Yeah, it's it's made to be a streamlined like catch all system. So it's very similar to uh, and Roger. I know you're not terribly familiar with this but savage worlds which is a framework that you can apply any setting to uh the age system is the same thing it's to simplify it and put the focus more on fast combat cool things in storytelling as opposed to a complicated math system to figure things out which is one of the things that like if you have really had to push things this is towards the lower end of where like entry point is as far as those mm-hmm. games go. D&D, Savage Worlds are up towards the top. Not nearly as much as like I would say Shadowrun is or pretty. Palladium or, or Palladium or GURPS, the original GURPS. But I love killing shit with math. <laughs> and that, that's all you. <laughs> but for, for people that want to sit down and like have a one or 17 beers and, you know, get into their character that's lush at the tavern, this is perfect for you because you don't have to worry about it. You, you have 3D6. Congratulations. You have everything you need to play this game. And that's that's a wide appeal for those lower the the lower common denominator, basically people that are maybe want to try a little bit something in this world. People that aren't familiar with role playing people that you know, just want to have a little bit fun and want to have more of a storytelling experience. It's all there. See, and that's what I was getting to because the strength of the Dragon Age side of this game is so powerful for me that even though I'm not fully engrossed in the actual gameplay, I would still play this game. What's the uh, the campaign length like? Well, so that's always a tricky question whenever you're talking about RPGs because your campaign is literally whatever you make it. Um, so the way that they do it, in, in they've offered the first adventure for free. Uh, you're looking at a couple weeks, like a couple weeks of like a couple hours a session. Uh, and that's the Dalish Curse. Uh, they've expanded it since the original release. And if, for those of you that are out there that have uh, purchased the 2010 version and have that adventure because it came with the the, the box set, uh, if you've purchased that, the new version is expanded, so you can download it for free from the, the website, uh, from the Green Ronin website, I should specify. Uh, but you can spend that out. That's a couple weeks of, like, light gameplay. Or you could plow through it all in one power session of six hours. It all depends on the players. Uh, that's the other side that, that's a factor. If you have players that want to sit in the tavern and argue for, you know, three weeks or pick bar fights or whatever the case is. Pickpocket each other on the train. Pick, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you know, steal from each other and then run across the continent. I, that's I see what you're doing expand. here, by the way, all right? <laughs> <laughs> it's not lost on me. I'm not that medicated. But it, it all depends. So it, it can range anywhere from a couple hours to several sessions. It all depends. But each one is segmented into very, I want to say very well. Uh, the transitions between adventures feels like almost like transitions between quests. And they do a very good job of here's your cookie to start it. Here's your breadcrumb into the next one at the end of the current one. Here's all the directions you can go. They bookend it really, really well. So you can have longer ones, smaller ones. All depends on your preference and what happens with your group. Now, I will say that it is tuned very specifically. And this is one of the the downsides of this current system. This system is tuned for three to five players. If you have less than that or more than that, it skews really, really hard in one direction or another. And that's because with the tools that are currently available, and I'm hoping that they're going to release an updated Game Master version now that the updated core players book is out, uh, there's a sort of limitation in there where you can't create these encounters like you can with D&D. It's here's a set thing. Here's the level of the encounter. This is what you have. This relies on you having three, or five, three four, or five players. That's it. How... Um open is the environment to create your own adventures in it as far as creating your own adventures you can do that very easily uh the the only downside is again the creatures but everything else is wide open to you as far as the world of thetis is concerned what do you mean yeah it it has a pre-existing setting but i mean you're perfectly able to write your own fan fiction within that setting if you will so story and monsters are separate is the best way that i can put it 
monsters in this game are static. There's not rules to create your own monsters or to scale them up or down. There are specific monsters for different challenge ratings or for different size, like in that group. Like if it's three players, you might have 10 darkspawn and one lieutenant. If it's five players, you may have 15 darkspawn, a lieutenant and a sergeant. Like, there's very scripted rules. It doesn't give you the math behind it, though, so you can't scale that yourself. And that's where the problem comes in. Okay. Yeah, that that would suck then. Because otherwise, you could have it wherein you can maybe download online campaigns that other people have made as well kind of thing, which would effectively make the, the game last forever. Well, and, th- and this is one of the problems and one of my criticisms that I have of Green Ronin. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Green Ronin. They've produced some of the greatest modules I have played for D20 Modern, Spycraft, uh, D&D. During the heyday of the D20 system, when it was first becoming like a thing back in third edition times, they were kings of the supplement. But the problem that they always had is that they never really provided the math for you to scale with mostly because they wanted you to buy their other supplements. They suffer from that piece of it. An enterprising person probably could figure it out, but I ain't got time for that shit. Like, if it's not if it's not there for me, I don't have time to dig into it. If anything, it's going to relegate this to a, you know, a, a side thing or a game we rotate in occasionally, and it's going to have set values. And that's pretty much it. I found that it was interesting that it's been nominated for three awards at this year's Gen Con. So obviously they've done something new to it or released new things with it that all of a sudden now it's being nominated again. Well, that one's a little bit tricky, too, because they're talking about the innies and stuff like that. Um, Voting for those is a little bit different at Gen Con than you would normally expect. Uh, So it covers all games, essentially, not just role-playing games. Any game can be nominated for it. And aside from two known people, the entire committee for it is uh, complete unknowns. Like, nobody knows who they are. They're sworn to secrecy. And any of them can nominate any game for any of the awards that they're putting up for it. Uh, so it could be... it. It's hard to really tell if it's because of the, the quality of the game and how it was received, or if it was because somebody on the committee nominated it. Like, you don't have a... I'm trying to think how to phrase it. it. That particular thing is a skewed comment because it's very subjective to how you look at it. That's not saying that it's not good. I think that it is a solid game system, especially for those that are maybe just starting to get into the RPG systems, tabletop RPGs, or really, really love Dragon Age and can be drawn into it and love the idea of exploring things that were happening to the side or outside of the video games and the books and everything else that was going on. There's a lot of cool stuff that happens. So, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't put the awards on it quite yet. Saying that it was nominated is like saying, eh, my dog got nominated for an award at like the grocery store when they wanted the cutest dog contest. Have you seen my dog? Cute as a no, freaking I actually button. She, she <laughs> deserves that. Award. Okay. Looking at the, 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 the tabletop RPG now is, when you're looking at the sessions that you've had, are you enamored with it because of the fun that you had playing it with your friends and whatnot, and that it was within that world that you like and, and whatnot? Or were there specific quests or specific adventures that you can look at in much the same way as you would a quest line in the games and say, that was spectacularly well written? Well, I haven't seen anything that's maybe like jump out of my seat as far as how well it's been written. Uh, the dialogues and everything like that are basically left up to the GM. Right. They leave it very, very open-ended for you in that regard, uh, especially with, like, the setting descriptors. They give you little breakdowns, and it's very similar, and Vince will understand this, it's very similar to, like, the mission briefings that they do for Shadowrun and how they have it set up. So you have, like, a brief description. If your players push and, like, here are things that you can expand upon, and then it leaves it up to you as the GM to kind of fill in the blanks. That said, what I really, really enjoyed about it and what I'm enamored about is not so much just the setting, but the way that it bridges the gap between video games and tabletop. Right. Because I've had a lot of players that have never wanted to touch a tabletop game before in their life and have been experienced with this now, and this drew them in. And because of the way that the quests are sort of like chained together and the way that those little tiny, I want to call them like almost like drama modules, 
are constructed, it makes players feel like they're sort of playing the video game, but on a tabletop in that regard. It's very well put together as far as what it gives a GM to work with. But without a good GM, it loses that weight. Right. Okay, cool. All right. Anything else before we move on? Uh, it's well worth your time to check it out. Uh, there's free versions of like sample rules and stuff like that online at greenronin.com. Check it out. If you can find one of the original box sets, which was uh, the Dark Fantasy role-playing set number one, uh, which was scale for players levels one to five for the Dragon Age box, and it is a box set, grab it because <laughs> it's not going to be found anywhere near anywhere else. It's also a lot cheaper than buying the core book itself and might give you a better idea of whether or not you want to play the game. Cool. Okay, let's move on. Sticking with cards and things like that, Hex is putting out another freaking cool event thing and I'm loving every time they're doing this because they're having fun with the world and making it something where in you, you have more of an attachment to the cards because of their meanings as well because with each of these little events that they're doing you're getting as I've said before card rewards equipment reward and things like that so this one that's going to be coming out is called the Sea Festival and it's starting on the 15th of August I think I read yeah 15th till the 29th of August so plenty of time same as the other one which I like that they're sticking with that formula you do the tournament stuff and you're going to get a card which is a freaking good card too and then if you do the pve dungeons you have the chance at cards as well as equipment and whatnot and what this one is is they're talking about a a coastal region in on the world of entrath and there's a festival that goes on there when it is the spawning season for the kraken and so the <laughs> seas become full of krakenlings, they're calling them. So fishermen are catching them up and they're making all manner of spicy kraken calamari, kraken chowder, kraken kebabs, <laughs> you name it. And there's also a brewmaster, Buzzlebeard, and he makes his renowned brew and he puts kraken in the brew as well kind of thing. So it's, again, one of those things where... I really dig the way that they do this and we've seen enough from this game now to appreciate the really quirky sense of humor that they have as well. Like part of the problem with the brew is that you want to make sure that you drink it fast enough so that you don't get your eyes poked out by rogue cracking limbs that are still <laughs> inside of it kind of thing. And the card also shows like one of the, the orcs, with this jug that is uh, a scarn, which is a, a creature that is on fire kind of thing. Really cool stuff. I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting into this and, and getting those cards because each time they do that too, it opens up possibilities for different decks. And because you're allowed an infinite amount of decks, you can really play around with it. And, Unlike a game, say, like Hearthstone, where you're limited in how many decks you can have, this here, if you just want to dick around and you've got some of these cards that you got from one of the events and just kind of mess around and let's see what comes of this and let's just have fun with it, you have that ability. And especially with the PvE cards, because of their campaign and because the next part of the campaign is going to be coming out soon enough, you really can incorporate these cards into decks that are specifically for certain heroes that you're using in different campaigns as well. Cause that's another thing too. Like I have a number of heroes where I'm mixing the class and the races a lot because it has such a different gameplay feel. You're getting vastly different cards. You have different abilities for your spells and whatnot. So then when they stick in stuff like this, where now you get to play around with the idea of, again, the brewmaster Buzzlebeard, and he's divvying up cards that are different brews that you can use during your gameplay. Now I'm looking at this and going, okay, it's obviously going to have to go in a blue deck that I have, and how can I make it work? I also have a Kraken card already that is insanely powerful. If I work it all together, I can make a badass deck that's just fun to play. I might not win every match, but it'll be fun when it works well. So, yeah, this is going to be coming out on the uh, 15th of August and running through till the 29th. So if you are playing Hex, I encourage you to make sure to check it out. If you're not playing Hex, the fuck is wrong with you? 
<laughs> Download it. It's free. <laughs> Try it. Trust me. You'll thank me later. Okay, let's move on to uh, D&D on your tablet. Vince. Yeah, this was some big news that came out of nowhere for me. Uh, Was it last year? Actually, I think it was about two years ago. Wizards of the Coast, the publishers of Dungeons & Dragons, announced a partnership with the virtual tabletop system Fantasy Grounds. And I looked at it, but uh, Fantasy Grounds requires you to first purchase the software, either individually per player or like these giant mega packs that you can then hand out licenses with and then also purchase the actual D licensed stuff on top of that so i was like ah, i'm already using roll 20 roll 20 is free roll 20 is great so i don't care so last week wizards announced hey they're partnering with roll 20 now <laughs> so we i we use roll 20 here all the time for our D and shadow run sessions and it's a fantastic program. It's completely free. Uh, there's a small subscription you can have for like advanced features and uh, extra online storage, which in my eyes is well worth it. And even then, only one member of the group needs the subscription for everybody to gain the benefits. So it's, again, fabulous program. I'm glad they're actually finally partnering with Wizards for official modules to go with it. Starting off with the Lost Minds of Fandelver, which is the small... Uh, First to, I believe, fourth level adventure that came with the starter set when uh, 5th edition first released a while back. And also the pre-order is available for the upcoming Storm King's Thunder full gigantic adventure that comes out in September. I'm like, all right, this is cool. I looked into it. They're charging uh, $20 for the Fandelver set and the full $60 for Storm King's Thunder, which I, at first I was really side-eyeing because I can just buy the Storm King's Thunder book on Amazon for 35 bucks. So I was really worried that this was overpriced. But then I looked at it and you're not just given like, okay, yeah, here, here's some maps. Here's some, and here's the information. They've built the entire campaign for you. Like all the creature tokens are pre-made. All the adventures there, the maps are created. They're labeled, they're layered. So you can have what the players see, what the GM sees, not to mention, they have the entire dynamic lighting set up. This is something we don't use in our campaign, but it's a fantastic feature where if you design a dungeon, you can actually create sources of light and then do the actual uh, topography for the walls, and the players can only see what they can see. It's just like if you were actually going through the dungeon. It's a phenomenal feature. They did all that for you. Like, just the Lost Minds of Fandelver alone, that is hours upon hours upon hours of work that the GM now doesn't have to do. In my eyes, that is well worth $20. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah, the Storm King's Thunder, 60 bucks. But, you know, if everybody from your group pitches in a few dollars, I mean, uh, Lost Minds of Fandelver, again, first through fourth level, that's a pretty hefty amount of gameplay. And I know most of the full published adventures, I mean, if you play weekly, you can knock it out in four to six months. So, I mean, that's a massive amount of content for your dollar. And like I said, if all of the work is already done for the GM in the Roll20, that is fabulous. Like, I'm actually really excited for this because I've been trying to figure out how to run uh, Curse of Strahd over Roll20. Not that I can't run the game, but the it's maps, bitch the maps are oh. so complicated. I'm like, I, I don't know if I can physically do this. So if now they're coming out with, like I said, all of the GM prep work is already done, this is very exciting for me. How is this going to work now with these campaigns? If Let's just say, for example, the three of us were doing them. Mm-hmm. Would we each have to buy either the no. twenty or the sixty, or just one of us? The, the when the GM creates the game, the GM can load the module if the GM owns it. So basically, we would only have to split the costs, and then we'd all be able to do these things. But this wouldn't have anything to do with our existing D and D. You wouldn't be able to port that in. This would be completely new campaigns. I could probably no, I could probably there, use there some of it piecemeal. Work, yeah. Uh, but like I'd have to port over the actual character sheets because you have to create an entire new game to load the module. You right. can't just plug it into an existing game, but it's it's something that could be done. How World this... 20, World 20 does let you transfer character sheets between games, yeah. though. So, okay, explain it to me now. I, I kind of read through it, but I was busy reading some other stuff, okay. so I didn't get a chance to go through everything. What then is the difference between the 20 and the $60 version? 
it's a different game. Like I said, the, the $20 oh, okay. game is only levels one through four. The $60 module is, I don't know exactly what level Storm King's Thunder goes up to, but most of the full adventures are level 10 to 20, depending. So it's, it's like I said, Lost Minds of Fendelver you can knock out in, I'd say, 12 to 16 hours, uh, maybe 20. Storm King's Thunder is 11 plus. Yeah. So, I mean, in all the D&D I played with my real life group of bi-weekly four to six hour sessions... We played for approximately six months. The highest level character was level six. And I handed out experience very generously. <laughs> well, what's cool about this stuff is it really aligns with a lot of the stuff that they've been doing with uh, their adventurers leagues mm-hmm. and trying to engage players into the game world a lot more and giving them things that are longer running, so to speak. Uh, instead of these like one shot adventures that they've been doing over the past. And this is just falling in line with that. And I think it's really good that they've kind of realized that, okay, fantasy grounds is great. Everybody's still using roll 20. We should probably go over there and offer stuff there. Uh, what are they asking for? Oh, they, they hate doing prep work. Prep work's a pain in the ass. Okay. We'll do it for them. Just give us money. And like they're, and it's going to, the idea that it's going to take you like six plus months depending on how often you play to get through that that content, it always gives you something to work with. You're never scrambling at the last minute, and it's always nice to see. And I've, I've been a very vocal pro and con against Wizards of the Coast over the last several years. I've, I've loved them and hated them. I've been critical of everything they've done. They're critical of themselves. This is proof that they're they're thinking about how to move in the right direction. Yes, they want to make money, but they want to make sure that they keep their players, too. I'm, I'm happy to see stuff like this. And then on top of all that, like what we prefaced this with was D&D on your tablet. I, Roll20 does have iPad and Android versions that work very well. But what takes this now the next step farther is even if I'm not playing on Roll20 and I have one of these preloaded modules, that means, again, as the GM... I don't have to do any prep work. I don't have to have my notes of all the character stats and all that. It's all right there. So I can just load the game up on my tablet, and that's all of my GM prep work already done. Again, it, I feel that you're getting your money's worth on this product. So how much of a, let's just say we were considering this. Mm-hmm. Let's just say, because honestly, I don't know about you two, I would not have a problem dropping 20 bucks, and we all drop 20, and get the $60 one, and then... If it's possible, though, to import our existing session in kind of thing, because you, you've busted your ass for that campaign, it'd be nice to keep going. Unless you didn't want to and you didn't care. But how it, it would be more work for me to port it in, because, again, the, the Storm King's Thunder has its own pre-existing lore and story to go along with it that doesn't fit with my world. So it, it would I could do it, but it would be a hefty amount of work. So it'd be worth it just to start from scratch, essentially. Not, not even start from scratch. Like, we can reuse the same characters. Right, even. right. Okay, but well, it, w- it wouldn't be, like, a continuous storyline without, you know, some interdimensional portal opening up. <laughs> All right. We're going to talk some more about this off air. <laughs> because, honestly, if it is something that is going to be easier for you, especially, and if it is going to be something that's still well, it's, fun that we could do, then... I, Joe can back me up here. Like, you've seen my personal... Uh, DMing style. I play very fast and lose very improvisational. So for our sessions that we do, I don't actually do a lot of prep. Most of yeah. what I do is rolled off of random tables. <laughs> I, I have I have like a vague outline of what things are going to happen, but the more the more prep work I do, the more work is lost if you guys don't follow what I already have. Yeah, and, and then I'm also at the same time, I'm more encouraged to kind of push you in the direction of all the work I've already done. That said, if you're playing one of these pre-made adventures, it's a very different style, but it's also rewarding in its own way because you have this pre-made, like, rich lore you can draw upon. Like, if you ask me a question, I don't have to make up the answer. The answer's in the book somewhere. Yeah, but (laughs) is that more fun or less fun? It's a different kind of fun is is how I look at it, yeah. And, And again, from the Dungeon Master perspective, there's an appeal to running a very tightly knit pre-made adventure. Although a lot of the who you're playing with, (laughs) well, a a lot of the recent uh, official 
adventures have been very freeform. They've been very sandbox. Yes. Like, uh, what is it? Uh, the the Elemental Evil one, I forget. Princes of the Apocalypse, Out of the Abyss, and Curse of Strahd were all very freeform. Yeah, like even the, the players stuff, can do things in a lot of different orders. Even the stuff they do for the Adventurers League, like a lot of the booklets that they mm-hmm. hand out for them, uh, are more like bullet points, less like point-by-point campaigns. But so, like, I said, it, you, it does require a little more advanced effort from the GM for these pre-made adventures just because you need to know what's coming up. Like, you, you, you can't make stuff up on the fly for those because it'll just throw everything off. Like I said, there's, there's a certain appeal to both styles, and I do enjoy both styles. It's just, you know, when I'm running a casual game with friends, I kind of prefer to just play fast and loose and have fun. But I'm not adverse to the other style either. Okay. Because right, well, I've run pre-made adventures before, and again, those are those are fun in their own way. They're just more work ahead of time. Right. Okay. Well, we'll talk about it and see what we decide. It, it, again, it might be fun to try it, even if it's just to have a side adventure with the, whether it's the same characters or not. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, we can look into the Lost Minds of Fandelver. I have no problem dropping 20 bucks on that. Okay. Let's move on to, to Hearthstone. Now... As has become apparent over the years, <laughs> I really like card games. And card, you don't game, say. card game trailers make me very happy in my happy place. Okay, like very happy. And I've seen them all and I watch them over and over again. I have never seen a trailer for a card game expansion or a card game that has been as spectacular as one night in Karazhan. Oh, it's on multi, uh, multiple <laughs> levels, too, man. It's it ridiculous. Fantastic. And the, 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 the funny thing is, and just to show how awesome it was, look at how much I've talked about Hex over the years. And now that the NDA is dropped on Elder Scrolls Legends, oh, I'm going to be talking about that as well because I've been <laughs> playing the shit out of that. We're going to talk about that game as well. There's also Shadowverse, which we touched on before. I've been playing it because it's been out on the iPad, and it is a surprisingly good TCG. I really like it a lot. So we're going to be having another episode not too long from now where we're going to be talking cards again just because they're freaking awesome. This trailer for One Night in Karazhan, I was telling Joe... I think this is going to get me back into Hearthstone. Even though it's 20 bucks, I think this is going to get me back into Hearthstone, at least for this. I, this actually made me, the, this trailer made me consider dropping real money for the first time yeah. on Hearthstone. Yeah. So the multiple levels, if you haven't seen the trailer, pause here. Yeah. Go watch, go watch it. it. <laughs> and then come back. I'm going to wait for you. All right. Welcome back. So that worked on multiple levels one because Karazhan was a level 70 raid so of course it was disco themed that was hysterical to me (laughs) second of all it was one night in Karazhan and the minute I heard that I immediately thought of Murray Head (laughs) and one night in Bangkok and I was immediately earwormed then I watched the trailer and I'm like you bastards you actually did (laughs) it you actually did it and the best thing is like like Tart Tart has no desire to play Hearthstone whatsoever. She's just not a fan. I made her watch the trailer. She was cackling like crazy. It it's spectacular all around. So I mean, the idea is twofold here. That theme of the 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 trailer is carrying over to the cards. And we're getting 45 brand new cards and there's some cool shit. Oh, God. My, my my personal favorite so far is Karakazam. Karakazam summons a 1-1 candle, a 2-2 broom, and a 3-3 teapot because apparently we're Beauty and the Beast in the middle of Karazhan here. Well, and they look just like evil god versions of characters from Beauty and the Beast. Well, they, they have a BR guest ability or something like that I thought I heard. Uh, they have. We haven't seen the you're, end resulting cards like what they summon yet. You're attacked like, by her, plates. You're attacked <laughs> they, by plates. They, they, so their weapon is a spoon. <laughs> So there's there's those there's uh, the bookworm, which I thought was hilarious and worm spelled W.Y.R.M. because dragons like to read books. And that's a super awesome car for six. You drop a, uh, a dragon that, well, if you're holding a dragon, destroy an enemy minion with uh, three attack or less. And it's a three six. That's pretty darn good right off the bat. Uh, you know what I like about this? Not to cut you off, but you know, go for it. We've Vince, you did enough back in the day that you actually ran Karazhan, right? Negative. Oh, okay. 
Joe, I know you did, and I ran. I, mean, I was still playing the game. I, I just still never still run Karazhan. What are yeah. you talking about? Like it's I, one of my favorites. I did Karazhan as raiding when it came out, and then since then, as once you were able to solo it, I was in there all the time. Karazhan, I think, is considered by most. Joe, correct me if I'm wrong. Probably as their favorite, if not in the. F- top maybe two or three in terms of raids throughout the existence of the game yeah if you had if you had to rank it most players will rank this and alduar up in the same tier which is like usually the first one or two so karazhan it's just a fantastic raid i mean it's not when you've done it every day for months it, it it really got long in the tooth in the day when it first came out. But that's the same for any raid. But sure. especially when you're running it now just for fun and you see all the quirkiness in there. It's just so batshit crazy at different points. And they're they putting that in the cards. Like the fact that there's going to be the chess level mm-hmm. in the card game. That for me was a point where I went, okay, yeah, I'm... I'm buying this, like because that is one of the most unique things that they've ever done in the game. Also, let's not forget that Morose is here and he's not a dead yet. Yeah. But I mean, everything they're putting in here, like I love that quirkiness. You hit the nail right on the head. Karazhan, yeah, it's one of my favorites because it's one of the weirdest raids that they've ever constructed from a spatial reasoning standpoint, from the plethora of bosses, the type of bosses that they put in there. Type, and, yeah, yeah. And, and the ties to the lore of the game, past, present, and if you've listened to me talk about this elsewhere, um, the future of the game as well. And the fact that they're coming back to it for the card game is awesome. And the stuff they're putting in there, like the nods to, to the original raid, like kindly grandmother, it's the big bad wolf in a grandmother's yep. outfit. Like they're that's their Barnes is a character. Like he's a legendary. That's amazing right there. Uh, there's just so many cool things here. So many cool nods. And we've only seen the first 11 of these 45 cards and there's more to come. Who knows what else they're going to put in there. But I, I like this. You keep having quirky, funky things like this. This is what will keep me playing Hearthstone. See, one of the cards that came out for Hex a while back was the Princess Cory card. And what the Princess Cory card does, <laughs> everybody, I mean, if you watch the stuff with the uh, the Kickstarter and stuff like that, and then the fun that they have thereafter with Cory in the princess dress, and they've kind of incorporated that into a lot of different cards just for fun. And I like that. But the Princess Cory card, what's fun about it is that when it attacks a boss, it will, if it deals damage directly to the opponent's hero, it will actually create X amount of legendary cards, put them into play based on how much damage it did. So the fun part is, is all of a sudden you're playing and you're waiting for your chance to get through. And when you do, all of a sudden, boom, you've got, you know, maybe five, maybe seven legendary cards that weren't part of your deck. You might not have ever seen the goddamn cards and now you're having fun with them because a lot of the legendary cards have these spectacular effects. So now you've got all these great legendary cards to just play with and have fun. One of the cards here is the Prince card where he's a 5-6. At the start of the game, shuffle five extra legendary minions into your deck. So you're going to be randomly getting different legendary cards that you hadn't banked on as well, which is going to make, yeah, it's not going to be as reliable as knowing exactly what's in your deck, but it's going to be more fun. And again, that's another card that I was like, yet another reason why I want to get this because it's cards like that, that insert so much fun into the the gameplay. That's all. I mean, honestly, that's all I've got is just, I need this. I need this in my life. I need this now. Yeah. Like, is it is it time for me to give you $20, Blizzard? Because you're getting $20 from me. Yeah, like, so there's going to be four wings uh, spread across four weeks, which we've seen them doing that for the others. And they will be purchasable with gold if you have the gold. So, I yeah, i very, very much looking forward to it. What did you think about this Quantum Quest thing? So this is kind of an interesting thing. Now, for a couple of reasons. One, this is basically a desktop role, role-playing tabletop simulator on the PC. And there's some weird stuff that they've done in the past with it, where they've tried to make board games and and dice games and import like chess and Chinese checkers and things like that into there. 
here they're trying to go for a full on dungeon tile exploration cyberpunk metropolis style game and i think that's really really cool first of all i love cyberpunk it's one of my favorite genres and the idea that they're trying to incorporate that into uh what is essentially a board game but done in a multiplayer or single player environment through steam is phenomenal uh it's got some cool stuff with like the different tiles that you lay out it looks like it's going to be some of the discovery for it uh it looks like you're going to have cards to assemble for gear as well as your characters uh and there is going to be dice in combat as well as the almost like an avr overlay for when you're moving your characters doing attacks spells uh, and you can spin the table around basically it's doing as much as it can to make it feel like you're actually sitting there at the table uh we don't know a whole lot about the story yet it, basically, we know that it revolves around three contract killers that are basically trying to do the bidding of the wealthy folk that inhabit the upper reaches of the city's staggering towers. Uh, when I read that, I also immediately thought that the developers were very big fans of Necromunda from Games Workshop back in the day, because that is totally a scenario that was during that tabletop role-playing game back in the 90s. So it's a very cool concept, has a lot of interesting potential. The fact that it's got single-player, local, co- it has local co-op, and we'll have online multiplayer makes it a game that we could definitely pick up and play among ourselves, which is always something I'm interested in. Uh, it's something that I think I'm going to have to watch and I want to know more about. So I'm going to yeah. be watching what they do with it. Yeah. Well, they had me at inspired by Akira and Blade Runner. I was like, okay, yeah, okay, <laughs> done, done. Shut well, up. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> cyberpunk. That's cyberpunk. I, I'm good with that. Looks looks really cool. Did either of you, Vince, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't care, but Joe, did you watch the Q&A on the uh, Demon Hunters for a while? I did uh, part of it, but I already know most of it because yeah. I've been playing for a while. Yeah. What, See, what if I had? Huh? Did you? Uh, that's did irrelevant. You? What if I had? Did you? <laughs> because I know you didn't. <laughs> I know you could give a rat's ass. <laughs> so there. You're asking questions you already know the answer to. Somehow exactly. You Roger sitting there doing Z snaps and bobbing his head. I I didn't ask. There was no question asked because I knew the answer. <laughs> Please prove me wrong. <laughs> I didn't think so. Just give me an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I watched it with uh, with Tristan because he's been interested in getting back in, and I hadn't yet decided. Uh, well, I did the freaking pay to resub because of freaking mm-hmm. Jason. Damn you! Um, <laughs> so I did resub, and then I was talking to Tristan, and we were looking at it, and he decided he'd like to play again. So we actually both pre-ordered it today, and he's been yeah, hell. He's probably playing right now, and uh, and we're getting ready for the Demon Hunters that are was just announced during that Q and A that it's going to release on the ninth of August for the Demon Hunters, and it's going to be the full starter. Uh, quest line for the demon hunters and then from there you can keep playing them doing all the other stuff as well there's very few limitations but it was very cool because they talked a lot about different design choices that they made the reasons why because it's supposed to be very mobile class and yet it does have a lot of problems with snares and different things and not being able to get out of them and being able to be kited so it's going to have some difficulties in pvp by the sound of it but it was interesting to hear them talk about the different choices that they made and and why and what we're looking at in the future with it as well too by the sound of it they're fairly happy with the way that it turned out because it is a class that only has two specs that you can choose from as yep. opposed to everybody else. And they would, tank. they would have had to take a lot away from the DPS if they had gone, say, with a range DPS. So it makes a lot more sense just to keep it all together. So There's a lot of interesting things with that, too, though. Uh, there are a couple interesting takeaways. One, I wasn't expecting them to be that early. Um, the night like, you mean? Like I wasn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I wasn't. Expe- I was expecting like a two or three day head start. I was not expecting them to come out on the ninth. Yeah, but you that know, gives- it makes sense, though. Like when well, you think of, of it, because now you're not getting all of the network traffic all on the release date. The people who pre-ordered, which is not going to be everybody, are going to be trickling in now earlier. So in oh, terms yeah. of looking at network congestion, it's actually fairly brilliant. Good idea. Well, the other side of that coin, though, too, is it's going to be a very interesting experience for Demon Hunter players because you don't get all of your talents Mm -hmm. because the way that they they're they're staggering it is you gain your talents as you level to 110. 
you do not get them like other players. You do not have the full access to the suite of your talents at level 100. So there's going to be some weird functionality there as you're sort of getting used to things until the game actually releases. And I'm curious how that's going to play out because I already know a few people that are going to want to try to do like current raids to get certain specific things to kind of propel themselves into the next expansion. So I'm really curious how that's going to to scale up for their power. And, and that also... The other thing that I'm going to be interested in is how the class distribution is going to work out after they're released, because melee is super crowded right now. Here's even a melee, two melee-based healing classes right now. Paladins have a healing spec in melee, as do monks, so I'm really curious how that overcrowded melee space is going to be for the future of, like, content in general. Because well, right now, standing in bad fucking kills you. The uh, they were talking about what it's going to mean because of that one hundred to one ten, and while you won't have all of your abilities, they're front loading a lot more of the stats. Stats, yeah. So at least you'll be powerful. You just won't have as many abilities. Which, to be honest, WoW is one of those games that has ability bloat where there's far too many abilities. I mean, Guild Wars maybe it's too little to have just eight. Although some people would say that's perfect and. WoW has way too many abilities, so I'm kind of all right with that myself, though I will say, I, I say that without having actually played it. I, I might feel differently if I once I give it a shot. Yeah, like I said, I don't know if it's going to be good or bad. I think it's just going to be interesting. Yeah, so there there was some cool stuff anyways, so if you haven't checked it out, go to their Twitch stream and, and watch it, especially if you are interested. Um, if you are going to be doing the pre-event stuff, the pre-Legion release stuff that's going to be starting also on the 9th, one of the things that they were worried about was, in fact, the Warglaives because people wanted to get them on their Demon Hunters to be able to use them for transmog. They're going to make sure that they're bind on account so that it doesn't matter if you haven't created your Demon Hunters yet or not. I'm a little miffed about that because I haven't done that with any other legendaries, you jerks. <laughs> I actually, I was checking out their, the, the transmog stuff uh, today, as a matter of fact, for the first time, and and it is pretty slick. It's nice. It's uh, it's I not, like not the, without its bugs, but it's, it's nice. certainly not without its bugs. I will say that, and I don't like that they put character or uh, level requirements for some of it. That really kind of irks me because there's nothing wrong with being a level one that looks badass. I mean, why not? What's what's the problem? PvP. Bullshit. No, I guarantee you that's the reason if you ask them. Well, I know, but they're bullshit. They're going to tell you PvP. I call bullshit on that because it, it doesn't matter. You can make your character look like anything. It doesn't matter. And it's because of the separation of PvE and PvP with abilities now. That has no bearing whatsoever. None. Kind, kind of, but it depends on the extent. Okay, I, I, I agree with you to a certain extent, but I understand partially where they're coming from because this argument has come up in the past with transmog and this has been something that's been hotly debated since transmog became a thing and it's because a lot of times priority callouts during a, like a serious pvp match uh, at a glance and like a battleground with the team you've never faced before you're going to see like a higher end mage that maybe not be higher end that you're going to avoid because you think he's got higher end gear and even though the gear split is different now and they're worrying about the 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 deviation as far as like the the abilities and stuff like that goes gear still has stats stats still matter and those are still going to make differences based off of what you target and what's going to be a bigger threat now again i'm not saying it's right but i'm saying that's going to be the reason i can see that before being an issue but with this new transmog thing and with the separation of the abilities, I'm sorry, I'm going to call bullshit on that. I, and I'm, I'm not saying that as an expert in it, but I, it does not make sense to impose that anymore. And the idea that you could tell what somebody is going to be able to do to you based on what they're wearing, I don't think that's a thing anymore. I, I don't buy that. I simply don't. So, but anyways, it's, it's kind of cool. I mean, my little gnome hunter and they can tame freaking mechanical shit, which is awesome. I'm questing with a goddamn mechanical bunny <laughs> and it is glorious. And I'm going to be getting a mechanical sheep soon. <laughs> and, and did you see the mechanical wolves? Dude, fucking awesome. <laughs> They're incredible. They look better than that spectral wolf. I can't wait to get one. I, I agree. 
So yeah, so there's some cool stuff in there. I'm, I'm really, really hoping that the expansion holds water and that the questing will be good and will not be Warlords of Draenor. Because that, I had, there was a couple of quests that I liked early on, and there was a couple of quests in other zones that I liked, but overall, that entire expansion was nothing but a disappointment for me. So I'm really hoping that this is going to redeem them. I think the difference between Warlords and this is during the Warlords beta, you could really see um, when they started to change direction. Like when the writing team said, okay, we were going to go here, but that's not going to work anymore. Legion has stayed pretty much consistent. Like it seems like they, they sat down after that one and decided this is our end point. We know where we're going to get to. This is, this is good. We want this. And I think I, I'm hoping, I hope they're going to stick with that because there's some real cool shit with like the priest order hall and some of the story and what it has implications for coming to the future, like in the shaman order hall and some of the cool quests and storylines that they have going for there and what this means for like the end of that expansion. I really want them to, to have that cohesive vision and I don't want, if they don't change anything, I think we've got it. If they do part way through the expansion, I'm going to show up in Irving with a very sad face and ask them why they were mean to me because they have such gold here. They have the potential. Don't fuck it up. Don't be warlords. Moving on. It, just ever so briefly, because I know I've talked about SWOTOR now every goddamn <laughs> podcast for a while. Hey, my Inquisitor is almost level 20. Dude. Okay, I'm glad you're back in. That's awesome. <laughs> That's freaking awesome. I uh, I actually got my, um, my Imperial Agent to 50, and I'd been having a bit of a time with one of the achievements for one of the flashpoints because there's a bug with it. And it was really pissing me off a lot. Like I did it over a dozen times over the course of several days and people kept fucking it up at the end. And I just never got it. Finally, we went through as a guild run and it was, I told them they restored my faith in humanity. It was great. And so I got it. And so I went back to doing the chapters, the current stuff for the fallen empire. And I got caught up yesterday on that. I did the final one. There's one more again coming on the night. Ninth is going to be a fucking busy day. We got that. We got the um, No Man's Sky coming out. <laughs> we got oh, the goodness. Demon Hunter stuff coming out. It's going to be a busy couple of days after the ninth. But anyway, so I'm caught up with the chapters now. What has been fantastic with those chapters, as I've said before, and this this is actually, I'm not going to spoil anything of this because I I want people to get it, to hear the enthusiasm in my voice, and to want to do it. What has been very, very cool is, as I've said, you get to see some of the same companions again, like Lana, like um, Theron, and things like that, come back. But you also get to see different companions from existing classes, and not just your class, different classes, showing back up again with different roles. Because shit went bad. So even though this companion was with that class, now you find out that everything went to, to hell in a handbasket and they wound up doing these other things to try to, to take down the emperor or do any number of things. So you got all of these different companions that as an alt player... Who, had, who knows all of these companions. I might not have done all of the quest lines for them, but I know them fairly well. Now you get to see them in a different way and with you where they might not have been before with that class. And it's been glorious and a ton, a ton of fun. And it, it gives you hints of what they went through in between that time because you were gone for like five years. So incredible stuff. The last chapter that I did, and I mean, each chapter I'd finish and I'd be telling the guild, like, that was fucking awesome. That was incredible. That uh, among the best questing in this game, that last chapter blew my mind, blew my fucking mind better than any quest line in the entirety of the pregame for all of the, whether you're looking at the Revenite stuff, whether you're looking at individual class chapter stuff, because I did a crap load. I finished a bunch of them, and I did a whole bunch of the other ones. This blows everything out of the water. It was wow. spec 
spectacular, especially if you know the characters or the those companions. There's a couple, again, I really don't want to spoil it, but there's a couple, and don't even go on the website because that will spoil some of it too. But not ours, but the SWOTOR site. The, mm-hmm. um, a couple of the companions in particular that you get, I knew them fairly well from when I was playing, and one of them in particular is amazing. I mean, just fucking amazing. And they shine in this. Like, it's unbelievable. Everything that happens, how the companions, the existing companions, are working with the new companions. They're, I mean, they're not, you know, in the game, they're they're part of your alliance that you're, you're putting together. But seeing them working together kind of thing. Plus, they're pulling out freaking NPCs that you dealt with. <laughs> To join your alliance as well. That it's like, oh, I remember doing that quest. I remember these fucking people. And that's like, I, I have a very clear idea of what's happened to every NPC I've interacted with. Yeah. For you, they're going to be like a little dead. It's somebody's kid. It's like, you killed my dad. <laughs> You're a very bad man. But anyways, just to say that last chapter, spectacular. I, I, I did not realize that 16 chapter 16 wasn't out yet. I thought that because it's part of that achievement as well. And that's the only achievement I'm missing for not the final tier, the legendary tier, but the one right before that, which is a lot. There's a lot of shit that you got to do to get to that. (laughs) And I thought, and it gives you, it awards you the final two pieces that you need of the leveling gear. So I thought this is going to be fantastic. Then I can use that with my other new companion or characters I'm making. And so I finished chapter 15. I was like, Holy fuck all right let's start and i look up and it says coming soon i was like fuck are you kidding me <laughs> and i immediately i'm on the swotar site and it's like coming out on the night i was going okay i can wait but fuck like i needed to know now how this ends amazing just amazing so if you're like playing through it now like you said you're level 20 i actually strongly i don't know if you were planning to or not but strongly urge you do the class stuff, do mm-hmm. the sh- the um, the hut stuff as well, because you are going to see companions showing up. Yeah, there. I want to do hut and Revan because oh, I yeah. still haven't ever done those. Yeah, do them and then work into the the Knights of the Fallen Empire afterwards, and and you'll be rewarded for it definitely. I let me put it to you this way too. Typically, I don't like to redo content a lot. I, I mean, leveling alts is different. But I don't like to replay because there's so many other games I could right. be playing. But I made sure that I was doing everything as light side for this one here. I cannot wait to take a dark side character through just to see the impact it's going to have on everything. Because I've seen some of it and what it would do because I kind of choose it to look and go, ooh. And then he exit out real fucking fast and then choose the light side stuff. But I can't wait to take another character through. So it's that good. Let's move on now. You found this Lost Souls um, game as well. What did you think of that? Yeah, Lost Soul aside, it's this trailer that appeared pretty much literally out of nowhere yesterday and blew everybody away because, holy shit, this looks really fucking cool. (laughs) And then come to find out, it's made by one Korean dude named Yang Bing. That's it. That is the entire development team that put out this ridiculously awesome looking trailer. Story is nothing really to talk about because, well, there isn't any at this point (laughs) other than, yeah, monsters and uh, a monster is bound to the main character. And that's about it. But he said, like, you first thing I noticed looking at this, I went, man, that guy looks like he should be in Final Fantasy 15. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he's come out and said, like, well, yeah, that when Final Fantasy versus 13 became Final Fantasy 15, that was my inspiration to start doing this because I've been looking forward to this game for years. And I decided to to do my own passion project kind of based on that style. So he went into that and just being a guy, everything you see here was created through the Unreal Engine 4 using assets straight from the marketplace like that it it's forget the game in and of itself this is basically a hell of an advertisement just for unreal engine 4 
because you look at what this guy has done with mostly just pre-made assets. Of course, he's done some work on top of it. It's not, you know, it's not steam green light tier of just buying and reselling stuff and compare it to, uh, well, we'll use steam green light as an example. A lot of the stuff people are making in there with unity and it's, it's night and day. Like I am blown away by how gorgeous this looks, how well it runs, how smooth the gameplay appears and we may never actually see anything paying off from this because, as he said, he released the trailer now that he's finished what he calls, you know, the prototype stage of the game development. You know, he kind of reached a milestone for both the game and his own personal benefit. But he said, like, yeah, now it's time for me to go get a full time job and I'll work on the game in my spare time. So we probably won't see anything out of this beyond this trailer unless somebody throws a lot of money at him, which, you know, it could happen. But again, just for showcasing what developers can do with Unreal Engine 4, this is this needs to be on the front page of the website. Let's put it that way. It was a proof concept. And it's the same as I put in the Stranger Things as well, which made me think of that complete opposite end of the spectrum (laughs) in terms of graphical appearance. But in terms of looking at it and going, shit, I want to play that. That looks fucking awesome. Even though what we saw for Lost Soul Aside was primarily just a fighting game, the mechanics for the fighting game Mm -hmm. looked solid. They looked really quite good. I liked his little dragon mana worm companion thing that he also had a shard for. And when he took off flying, I literally went, damn. (laughs) And it was like, okay, it's got potential. So, yeah, I, I really liked what he did. Yeah, I was actually really disappointed. I went, oh, I need to learn more about this game. And like, oh, there is no more about the game. But uh, I hope he finds a way to actually make this work and make it happen, because I really would like to see what he can do with, you know, this concept. Yeah, definitely. Okay, that is going to wrap up the episode for tonight. Thank you very much for listening. Of course, you can find the show notes at For the Lore. You can find us on Twitter at For the Lore or individually Joe is Lorders at J, Vince is Samodian, and I am Zen Buddhist. You can leave us your thoughts and comments on the site, on iTunes, and on Stitcher. And with that, we will see you guys next week. With my guitar under my coat, I hitchhiked all the way down to Memphis, got a room at the YMCA. For the next three weeks, I went a hunting them night, but looking for a place to play. Well, I thought my picking would set them on fire, but nobody wanted to hire a guitar man. Well, I nearly about starved to death down in Memphis. I run out of money and luck. So Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.